on the road again Just can't wait to get on the road again The life I love is making music with my friends And I can't wait to get on the road again And we welcome you to a very reactive post-game this is wrestling after Forbidden Door. We are on the way home on the 401. Welcome to the program, uh, Libra Sage Zach Frickin McGibbon. Uh, he is in fine form, so we should get right to him. But Zach, we have others here in the car as well. Uh, ben Soublier is our driver. Uh, we're paying him accordingly. He's doing a very good job. Um, RJ, I think, is still awake in the front seat because we just stopped. He wasn't awake uh, about half an hour ago. But uh, it's important that Chris Holsky and uh, Josiah in the back here as well. But what a card. What an amazing experience. We're just out of Forbidden Door. I think a lot of people are pretty psyched up, but it's nice to be able to have this program so reactive right afterwards. Yeah, this is such uh, a really cool thing that we're doing on the podcast. Be able to, as you mentioned, be very reactive, literally like an hour out from the show being over and we're on the highway having a nice little cruise. Thank God we're out of the Don Valley Parkway because I thought uh, my life was going to flash before my eyes, but instead that was just the lightning that was uh, in front of us. But no, things are good. Uh, really excited to talk about this show and what I thought was a really, really fun wrestling show. Yeah, like I think all of us here in the car are still buzzing a little bit, and we just finished listening actually to the press conferences uh, for Forbidden Door and some interesting information coming out of that. But we'll get to that in a second because let's start with the very top. No sense going in order because I think Zach, when you talk about Forbidden Door, we'll talk about. The fact that Will Ospreay and Kenny Omega blew everyone out of the water. And then you had an incredible main event as well with Brian Danielson and Kazuto Okada. The, the rainmaker to be able to go out there afterwards and some interesting developments in that match. That might have had the ending a little bit. Uh, different than what it was going to be but uh let's just start here uh ben since you're driving and going beside some trucks here i feel it's a good time to talk to you where you won't talk very much but um incredible incredible night just before we get into the matches just your your feeling leaving the arena after watching forbidden door I thought that the Toronto crowd did us very proud. I thought after watching Double or Nothing uh, last month that it left me kind of feeling that the Las Vegas market was um, maybe a little bit fatigued. And I think going to a new market like Toronto, even though they had done the previous shows of, I think, Dynamite and Rampage, um, just kind of shows you what a fresh crowd and an enthusiastic and lively crowd can do for a show. Because I think, you know, Brian Danielson talked about this in the scrum that regardless of how good some of the matches were, the, the reaction from the audience just put it over the top. Okay, Chris Holsky, first impressions of you know, the weekend, but at Forbidden Door and just the entire event, how you're feeling right now? Honestly, I'm exhausted, but in a good way. That was an emotionally trying night. A lot of matches the crowd was just losing its mind for, like the opener, the mixed reaction again for CM Punk, and what more can be said, honestly, about Osprey and Omega at this point? Just an, an emotional roller coaster. But, I say exhausted. I think most of the crowd was exhausted by the time that we got to the last two matches on that show. With the, maybe Judas wasn't quite as loud as it could have been. Maybe the chanting wasn't quite as loud for the main event. And I actually kind of pity guys like Danielson and Okada for having to follow what they had to earlier in the night. Josiah, uh, instant kind of feeling leaving the building. Uh, I I think that's the best show I've ever been to live. Uh, I was so happy. I, I was I was talking with Zach on the way back to the uh, the, the van here, and uh, I just said I'm just so satisfied. I, I I walked away from the show feeling very satisfied, and. 
and uh, I, I got to watch Collision on TV. I wasn't there with you guys for that one. Uh, and that show was really good, too, I thought. So a good weekend for wrestling. So I would agree, Chris, and, and others that would think that the weekend was a lot. Now, I think if you kind of package Collision back on Saturday night, as hot a crowd for a TV show that I've ever been to from the beginning to the end and we'll have to try and get Holski to not eat his chips stack here uh, on the way because uh, that will interfere with the podcast I can tell you. Uh, bad time to open the chips Chris but um, the I was moving some peanuts right he's move, moving some peanuts so the but the totality of Saturday night with Ring of Honor before and after I think left some people exhausted. We know about the pay-per-views. We've talked about it on this podcast a number of times about the length of these shows and it's the one thing that's really really hard to to get past but what do we feel about like right at the four hour mark for a pay-per-view show yeah i thought the pacing for the first bit i was really really invested in the show and then similar to how we viewed the AEW pay-per-views uh from on our tv that there was that noticeable lull around the 10 o'clock hour. Um, and so I thought the pacing for this AEW show, maybe the live, uh, being li- there live was certainly a factor for that and be a little bit more excited and having other people excited about some of the matches. And of course, he still had some of the, the big matches to go later on. But I thought they had gotten over the lull a little bit, but I do agree with Holsky in the sense that uh, after Danielson came out to Final Countdown, which yeah. was awesome, which was great, um, and then, and then one of the chants, which I will not repeat uh, for the sake of the podcast. Um, but uh, afterwards, I, I kind of agree with Holsky, where it felt like there was kind of a tone, and you could tell that Danielson was trying to, you know, incorporate some of the other chants to try and get the crowd into it. Because, and this kind of might tie into like a little bit of the review of the match. I thought the work was good. It was just the crowd at that point. You've been served so much wrestling, especially if you've been there, been there for the pre-show. Um, and the dark match that they had earlier with Tom Lawler, uh, you saw a lot of wrestling over a five-hour period. And so uh, I, I thought pacing-wise for AEW pay-per-views, it was on the on the better end, but it was still something that it definitely hit like a ton of bricks <laughs> once, we, once the show was over. Well, let's hope that Ben doesn't feel that way. He's still driving. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Ben, you've been with us watching a number of pay-per-views uh, at the theater, on TV, and now you go to one live. What did you think about the four-hour mark for this pay-per-view? I think we got our money's worth. I think yeah. I think if you go to a pay-per-view and you spend a couple hundred dollars to watch a pay-per-view and you come out of it feeling like you got your money's worth and you're satisfied, even albeit maybe a little bit tired, I, I think I can go home happy with that. I think sometimes with the theater experience or the home experience, you're a little too cozy. It's not as engaging. Um, it's not as stimulating, and you don't you don't have the same type of feel that you do in front of a live audience where you can pull energy from the wrestlers. You can pull energy from the crowd. So I never felt tired like I've done before in other AEW pay per views towards the end of the night. I've, I honestly felt energized, and I was like, yeah, that was perfect. But I agree with what you guys were saying. Um, the energy level in, of the crowd for the main event, kind of, we, we had already hit that crescendo. And it kind of, and I, you know what, I think for the type of match that Danielson and Okada put on, it was actually okay, because there was a lot of technical wrestling, a lot of psychology, and I think you're going to mention it in a little bit, but Danielson had to call a bit of an audible with his injury, and I think that was okay. I think that the match didn't have to be what Osprey and Omega was, and and for that reason, I loved it. So let's just get into the top two matches, because the top two matches, of course, were Osprey uh, and Omega, and then of course the main event with Danielson and Okada, but third last was Osprey and Omega last was Danielson and Okada and I do think as you said that third hour started to roll on 
and they got right into okay, like we're going with or we're going with uh, Will Ospreay and Kenny Omega here. It felt like the peak after that match. So, in retrospect, uh, one more question here before we start to get to and break down the matches: um, Would you have changed Zach? Anything like would you have changed the lineup knowing what you know now from the show? I wouldn't. Uh, I I thought that uh, I understood the thought process of. You know, they had the cushion in between with that six-man tag with Sting and Jericho, Suzuki. Um, I I actually thought that was a pretty sweet buffer. Um, and I think the appeal would have been the dream match in the main event. I think uh, it was just bad timing in the case of the injury to Danielson, which we've learned. Um, and so I personally wouldn't change the card. I just think that uh, I, I think it would be more... Uh, I mean, they already dropped the Adam Cole-Tom Lawler match. Uh, and so... I, I literally gave all their time to Osprey and Yes, <laughs> which Omega. we'll get to. Which we'll get to. But um, honestly, I think layout was fine. I just think that if you're going to try and get to this... Uh, it, it's pretty clear that Tony Khan loves to load up these cards. And, you know, we, we talk a lot about the pay-per-view price being at a $50 price tag. And so... He's going to try and load it up as much as he can. And, and I believe it was Ben that said you get uh, best value out of it. Um, and so I get it from that standpoint. I think it's one of those deals where AEW has done it before with their pay-per-views where they've struck a good chord with their with their timing um, and, and their flow. But then other pay-per-views, there could be some real big lulls. Um, and I think in this case of the AEW pay-per-view, I thought there was a little bit of a lull, but that just kind of lasts in the main event. And it just didn't hit that other gear mainly because Danielson had to kind of limit some of the work he was doing and go more on a technical basis, which at 11.30 at night, after a whole bunch of matches, while the work was great, I think there could have been a little bit more of a build up to that crescendo to what we saw with the tap out. Right. So what we're getting at, if you don't know already, Brian Danielson broke his forearm with about 10 minutes left in the match. And... You know, uh, they called an audible for sure, and the way that it was delivered, I thought they did an unbelievable job. It was a bit shocking at the end, yeah. but so I would have absolutely have changed the order, knowing what I was going to get and, and knowing how long the pay per view was. Brian Danielson talked in the press conference about the totality. You always have to look at the totality of the event. Well, you have to do that when you're kind of laying the card out, because as you said, I. I was very, very excited, and probably in this car, the least excited about Danielson and Okada as compared to everyone else, because I was probably a 9.9 out of 10, and you guys were like 85. <laughs> so, but it did hit me when that match is not starting till 11.30, and you are in that seat at 7 o'clock, I know the pay-per-view doesn't start till 8, but they had the pre-show, you bought a ticket. Are you really not going to go in until 8 o'clock? So you're sitting in your seat at 7 o'clock, and that main event is not starting until 11.30, and you've delivered one of the best matches in the last, I don't know. Certainly of this era of, of right. wrestling. So, and I think you're, you'd be a little bit naive if you're Tony Khan to send out Osprey Omega 2 third last and not expect them to be you know an unbelievable match and one of the, the best matches you're ever going to see how do you think people are going to feel afterwards? How do you think people are going to you know, react and, and get rejuvenated very late um, in the night? I, I think that's a mistake so I, I do think they need to look at that a little bit. What about you guys Josiah? Um, just about the, the order and kind of the level of energy well, I, I know, uh, I, and don't get me wrong, I love Danielson and Okada. I, I actually, it was very much so uh, a, a New Japan style match, and I actually think that match would have played better in front of the Japanese audience by the style that it was done. Uh, but I, I thought that was a great match. You said you were a 9.9, .9, I was probably like a 9.5. I, I still really like the match. Uh, and uh, in terms of where the, the pacing went, though, 
Uh, that match was about who was the best in the world, but tonight it was Kenny Omega and Will Ospreay. Uh, that that was unbelievable, and in retrospect, I would have put that on last because if you deliver that quality of match as the main event, that's going to wake up any crowd you have. I would agree. Um, if you think that that's going to be the best match of the night, you got to put it on last. And I think once those two got out there and the energy from the crowd and whatever all was happening, I don't care who's going to win. I don't care what the result was. Um, that was a roller coaster, and that I think would have carried a little bit further the energy throughout the crowd. What about you, Chris? I honestly believe that you have to take into account who most people are paying to see in the arena. And without a doubt, the most popular faction group of wrestlers in the company among that crowd was the Elite. And the biggest match with the Elite was Kenny Omega, Will Ospreay. It should have finished things off. Okay, so I knew you were on an island on most things, Zach. So this didn't uh, this didn't take away from that. That's fine. Uh, yeah, I know. That, that's, that's what people fine. say when they're usually wrong. That's fine. Uh, no, uh, no, I'm I not going to back. I'm not going to back off from my comments. Okay. I, I'm right, but no, that's fine. That you guys all think. <laughs> I mean, you guys all think different. Um, I, you, you always tell me to stand by my opinion, so I'm standing by it. Shut up, Zach. <laughs> no, I, I. You should stand by your opinion because they are right more often than not. But uh, just not in this case. So it's nice. Um, but. But that's why this discussion, because I'm not sure there is a right answer. Um, That's why we're having this discussion. Uh, Because if you delivered a long match for Danielson and Okada in the middle of that card, and it wasn't until 11.30, maybe you don't get the same reaction from the main event. So um, let's talk about the Osprey-Omega match, though. Uh, Zach, and start off with... You kind of felt early, just with the heat that Osprey had and the people so behind Kenny Omega um, and just the energy level of the crowd it was a perfect spot for them and I think sometimes that you you book a card and you look at it on paper and you go well if you're not last you always want to be first Um, this match did not matter where it was because it was that good Um, let's let's start taking people through why it was good and how, how long it was uh, there is a new IWGP United States champion and that is Will Ospreay uh, he defeats Kenny Omega uh, on this night and makes kind of the series 1-1 yeah uh, this is the greatest wrestling match I've ever seen live it was unbelievable um, just the way that it built and it built on their Tokyo Dome match where they, they had some callbacks to previous spots. Uh, obviously, the the big the big spot uh, with, in this case, Osprey putting Omega's head into the announce table, uh, little top part there, um, kind of calling back to a similar spot that they did in their uh, Tokyo Dome match at Wrestle Kingdom this past year. Um, the violence in this, I think, uh, took a lot of people by surprise considering what kind of wrestlers both Omega and Osprey are. Um, it was a violent match. It felt like a blood feud had kind of transpired and gotten, uh, obviously taken to the screen. Um, yeah, this was, <laughs> this was the greatest wrestling match I've seen live. Just the way it built, uh, the violence, and uh, I'm sure there's going to be some stuff that we're going to, you know, nitpick a little bit, uh, and, and I already know which ones, and I don't necessarily disagree with them, but how I felt in that crowd, being able to watch what happened in front of me, from my very eyes and some all-time great near falls that I've seen live and some big-time moves, moves that I never thought I would see ever again dating back to all Japan, somehow making its way into this into this modern era. Um, I thought this was a uh, an all-time great match. Uh, I've seen some debate, is this the greatest wrestling match of all time? I know some are kind of hesitant on it. I definitely think it will be in discussion for match of the year. I think that's uh, something we can all agree on, that it will be in that discussion. I won't even disagree, and you usually say stupid things in, like, <laughs> January and February. Oh, yeah. this match will be up, and we don't talk about them again because they won't be, and I always tell you that. Well, the, but, but, the, the match in January was the first Omega Osprey match. <laughs> and, and that will be in conversation. <laughs> but we did talk about other matches. He's forgetting a couple that he... Which ones? Zach, focus on the now. Uh, ben, 
Yes. So how did you feel during some of the, the big spots and like in the middle of the match, it, it really held everybody's attention, I think, which really kind of impressed me. Um, some of the things the, the I mean, really, the one-winged angel that was hit by Will Ospreay that Kenny Omega kicked out at one, uh, I remember very vividly the, um, as Zach said, the head pounding into the um, the desk and the blood that ensued out of both guys. Uh, you had incredible move on the stairs as well. What sticks out for you in this match? Uh, obviously, the one-winged angel... Uh, kick out stuck out I really loved the um, I think it was a shooting star press to the outside from Osprey as another really good spot as well um, but honestly so I think Osprey is the best wrestler on the planet right now I think um, I, I think most people would agree and have him in the top five but I think he's he's just the complete package right now and I think as, as a whole, the entire match was just this really good buildup of these false finishes, um, and I, I can't pick out a single moment where I was like, oh, that's my favorite part of it, because I loved so much of the match together in its entirety. Josiah, I thought it was perfect when it looked like it was going to be over, um, and Will Ospreay had hit a number of his finishers and it looked like okay this is the part where it's over and Kenny Omega got his leg on the rope I I don't know live that I've ever seen a pop that loud for somebody getting their leg on a rope so I actually have a bit of a story uh, to scoop around that part Uh, it's going to lead a little bit of a background first though Uh, but it will get back to the match I promise Uh, so there is a, a maritime wrestler by the name of Chip Chambers. Where are you from? I am from... Uh, the Maritimes. It's the Maritimes. Right. So, okay, so, just, no, yeah, yeah. Nova Scotia and, I guess, New Brunswick. Because I... Cause I, okay, I yeah, 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 yeah. it's for both. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, he's from uh, New Brunswick Wrestling. Uh, Chip Chambers is his name. Uh, that's his gimmick name, of course. Uh, his real name is Brad. Uh, but he, uh, he, he was coming here to the show with tickets. And we were going to meet up for dinner before the show. And I haven't seen him for three or four years, so I was really looking forward to it. And then I got a text message from him uh, mid-afternoon where he said, he said I'm not going to make it, cause, uh, but I have a good reason. And I said, what? He says, I'm working security at the show. <laughs> so somehow he uh, got in backstage to do security at the show, which uh, I believe he was kayfabing me a little bit at first. Hmm. But uh, uh, there was a spot in the match uh, when Osprey grabbed the Canadian flag and started... Uh, desecrating it uh, he grabbed it from my friend Brad it was a plant in the crowd oh. <laughs> so uh, but uh, Brad was telling me at that moment when he saw the uh, Omega get his foot on the ropes uh, that he said that was the greatest rope break he's ever seen and he said it was very difficult for him to do his job during this match and not just mark out like crazy uh, because it was just an unbelievable match. And uh, that it was probably the greatest rope break spot and one of the loudest pops I've ever heard. And uh, I, I don't think I've ever seen a better match live. Um, and this is probably easily my top five best matches I've ever seen. Chris, the emotion for you in the match, where did it get you? You know, actually, I'm honestly glad to hear that uh, someone's not missing a flag and that those two kids who were given the flag... Yeah. Uh, that, that that it was actually a gift. Yeah. Um, I can't believe, Lever, I can't believe that I saw a Tiger Driver 91 tonight <laughs> and that Kenny Omega kicked out of it. Yeah. <laughs> that was an incredible final sequence, just him getting murdered by Osprey. I thought the use of juicing in this was incredible. Uh, both Kenny and Osprey did great jobs of hiding when they were blading. Um, after that DDT on the steps, I had no idea where Osprey would have had the chance to do a swipe across his forehead after that move because he was he was bleeding almost immediately. He would, he had to have done that like mid take. That that's absolutely incredible work. That's Shawn Michaels level stuff. 
that one spot earlier on in the match where he licked some of Kenny's blood off of his bicep. Yeah. And oh. the crowd was chanting, you sick F, you sick <laughs> F at him. And you could see on the on the big screen yeah. where there was a zoom in where he's just standing there with like a, a look on his face and then he just goes, yep, that is <laughs> biggest star in the world caliber stuff. There are a couple of weak points, and I know Lee that there was one that you did not like around with Don Callis. So yeah. I'm not going to talk about that very much. Well, but 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 this is the other one. Um, before we get to that, um, Osprey using the Crippler crossface was an extremely poor taste. Yes. If there is something that I really did not like about that match, it's not obviously not not going to take away from the entire picture of what was really a masterpiece. That was a foul. It left the crowd clearly feeling uncomfortable and justifiably so for a few minutes in the middle of that match. And it absolutely, it absolutely should not have happened. And it's, I think it's, it's disgusting. But I thought, you know what, this is a good idea. Okay, I can, I can hear that argument for sure. Um, because it, I don't think it was needed. I, I don't think there was a lot of other things that Will Osprey did to get heat from the crowd and probably could have gone in some other directions. Uh, I don't know if it's as big of a foul as you just made it seem, but, um, and I only say that because I, I do think the other foul in this match, would, which would prevent it for me for getting to that that next, like, greatest match ever in the history of wrestling, but because it's close, <laughs> and that's the thing, is Don Callis. And I think when... You have, when you have managers of any kind or other factions of people outside the ring, you have to be very, very careful when those people are out there that they're adding to something and they're not either doing nothing or taking away from the match. So, yes, I do understand that at one point. Don Callis gets thrown out early and he brings these other security guys down, which I still don't know why that happened, but okay. Um, but then Don Callis about half an hour later comes running back and is on the outside for the next 10 minutes. And I know that's a little ticky tacky when it comes to all oh, we're wrestling. It doesn't really matter because you know, there are rules, but this one didn't make any sense. Like, you can't explain it to any person to say, yeah, a guy got kicked out. Half an hour later, he ran back down, and the referee did nothing. And I know the referee misses stuff in wrestling, Zach. That's yeah. that's that's the thing for the referee. But he saw it, and he was just like, "I okay, sure, I kicked you out, but I guess you're back. And he ended up handing Will Ospreay a screwdriver, which did not cause the end of the match. Now, it certainly led to, eventually, the wearing down of Kenny Omega, but... To me, Don Callis was, he took away from what those two did tonight. And that that's a huge foul for me because of the, the artistry of this match and how great this match was. I don't want to be talking about this right now, but it was a part of it. And I thought a very, very unnecessary part. Yeah, you didn't have to have him get kicked out in order to do that spot. Uh, with the screwdriver. Uh, he could have been there all that time. I I think you can make an argument where once he came back, there was that intrigue of what is he going to do? How is he able to come back? Um, but once it became clear what the spots were, it's like, oh, well, if that's what he's doing, you didn't really have to kick him out in the first place. Um, so I agree with you on that. It didn't take it away as much um, for me because again the spots that we got as, as Holsky mentioned the Tiger Driver 91 being used like I thought that would be stuck in 1991 with Mas Mitsuharu Masawa um, it made Kawada's bump look safe I know I mean, <laughs> that was that was straight on the top of Kenny Omega's head it was crazy um, and so I, I see your point though and that was something that was in the back of my head when I was watching it where I was like 
yeah, they, they didn't have to do that spot, but it's one of those things where everything else was so good, <laughs> like it was some of the best I've ever seen, that was able to overshadow that that blemish for me. And and maybe if, if it was another match, if this happened during the Danielson Okada match, for whatever reason, like if Gato was with Okada still and they did that same spot, then it would probably affect it for that match. But in the case of this Omega Osprey match, it didn't affect it because everything else was so good, I was kind of able to look past it okay so just to recap the match in its entirety i know it's an hour and a half later or however long we've left um the scotiabank arena in toronto and on the way home back to ottawa but ben best match you've ever seen and put the word live at the end and make it a different question so best match you've ever seen and best match you've ever seen live I, I will have to rewatch it on TV to see if it's the best match I've ever seen. In terms of live, I'm still torn between that match and two others. One being uh, DIY versus The Revival in Best Two Out of Three Falls, and part of that was I was second row for it. And then the other being the unsanctioned match between. Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa in TakeOver New Orleans. Again, different types of matches and different reasons they hit for me, but it is easily one of the... If it's not number one, it's no lower than number three for me. In terms of best match of all time, I don't think so. I'll re-watch it as, you know... Uh, a virtual fan or whatever you want to call it, somebody that watched it on TV so you can hear some of the commentary and catch some of the, the other nuances. But I still think it's probably in the top, easily in the top 10 matches of all time that I've seen. Probably in the top five. So for me, for me, uh, Zach just stopped me prematurely for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> I, I couldn't see the light. I got concerned. Yes, I know. I know, Zach. But I'm a professional here over in the the middle seat, okay? On the left of the middle seat of the minivan. That's right. Professional person here, okay? Well, just um, making sure it's going smoothly. Just because I don't work in radio anymore, like now all of a sudden you're like, oh, I better make sure I, I work in radio. I work in Belleville. Zach? Yeah? I'm the preacher. I can help you see the lights. Oh, that's true. That's true. Josiah, easily your best work of any part of this trip so far. Um, so I'm glad you're peaking at 2.09 in the morning. Uh, I'm an idol. Chris, Chris, best match you've ever seen? Best match live? What's what's in your head right now? It's the best match I've ever seen live. And even though it had its flaws, um, I, I think it blows DIY against uh, the Revival out of the water. Uh, it's it, it, th There was an extra magic, I think, in the building through the course of the night. Um, and I think that that kind of adds to the overall impact that it have when you do have that X factor. Um, it, it was, yeah, it, without a doubt, the best match that I've been to in person. Best ever? I don't know. And I think history is ultimately going to, you know, tell the tale on that. But then again, I'm one of those, I'm one of those, like, jerks that'll say, no, 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 the best match of all time is Ric Flair versus Ricky Steamboat at WrestleWar in 1989 and nothing's ever going to change. No, I, I, I can't say definitively whether that's the best match of all time. But it would be in your top five, ten. Is that fair to say? Well, that's hard. Man, I don't know. I'd have to take a look at what else okay. is on my list. So, Chris, get your laminated list back into me here <laughs> at, at some point, and we'll see if it fits. Uh, Josiah? Yeah, uh, I got to say, if I had to give it a star rating right now from the top of my head, I'm thinking six and three quarters. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's yep. not good. Yeah, uh, and uh, for the rest of us who have no idea what that means, uh, because a perfect match is five stars. Correct. Right. And so, so when someone says that's like somebody saying to me, "I gave one hundred and seventy percent." Yes. And it's like, okay, like I gave one hundred and sixty. We both gave over a hundred. The uh, the only other match that I, I I have to go back and watch them both, but both of them involved Kenny Omega, and it was Omega Okada four. I thought that was the greatest match I've ever seen. I, so I'll need to watch this event again on TV and see how I feel about it. Um, but 
it's it's close. It's easily top five for sure that I that I've ever seen. Um, I was I was like a little kid again watching this match, jumping up and down, marking out like crazy for every near fall. Uh, they completely got me, and uh, when a match gets me that emotionally invested in what is going to happen in the near falls, wanting to see what happens next, uh, that's the sign of a very good match, and uh, I I was blown away. Yeah, for me, it just it's really hard right now, and I'm gonna like everyone else here. I feel like a coach after a game saying. Well, I gotta watch the tape. I'm gonna see how things went. I gotta gotta review some things, but it had me too because it had so many elements in the the boxes that you check when you talk about great matches. You talk about uh, back and forth. You talk about heat. You talk about you know if one people want to see blood. You talk about chain wrestling. You talk about um, some of the different maneuvers that were used that maybe have not been used in a long time the near falls were incredible for me in this match um, and just the way the people were were going with both guys and so much appreciation I think for uh, Osprey but people were behind Kenny you know to the end Canadian all that stuff it was just I can't think of a match live for sure that I've ever seen that had that much investment for that long a period of time and and well worth it, you know, for, for everyone. So, um, if you're listening to this podcast and you have not seen the match yet, go see it Uh, because, and I don't say that very often on this podcast because sometimes it's hard for people to go and, and check things out. Um, they don't have time. They want to hear about it. Maybe they'll catch a couple highlights. But this is one of those matches that you need to watch from the beginning, watch it until the end, and kind of see how you feel as a wrestling fan. Because I think we're all in that boat right now about it made us feel some things that we don't often get, but why we why we kind of chase the dream. That's what I call it in wrestling. I can, you can call it something else, but... We get frustrated, Zach. I mean, I'm the calm one, but you get very <laughs> frustrated on this program a lot with some yeah. of the some of the goings on. Yeah. Um, because we care so much that we're looking for that perfection. We're looking to try to find when they do it absolutely perfectly, and I think they did that in this match. And it's the feeling you have as a fan afterwards. That's one of the coolest feelings. We don't get it very often. And I think that's why we appreciate it so much. Now, yes, we drove down and went to the live event and paid money and all that stuff. And we don't do that every weekend. But the feeling that you had afterwards that it was over, this complete satisfaction of everything that you felt during it is what we chase. We chase these things watching wrestling every week and being very frustrated with a lot of things that that you know the companies do to try and get there so um that that's why i'm saying people go watch it because i think if you care about wrestling at all and you watch this from beginning to end you will have that feeling one way or another whatever it is it might be a little different than me or zach or josiah or chris or ben rj too when he's up um (laughs) but that's that's why we went right so was this a long show yeah it was a terribly long show um it was a terribly long saturday night uh the collision part was great but the ring of honor and everything else it was was terribly long but we're leaving and i feel that okay like i saw something that not many people get a chance to see and that's what we strive for we strive for those type of events and so now we have to go to the other matches and talk a little bit about We'll start with Daniel Okada. I know we've talked about it a little bit. Daniel's and broke his forearm. Uh, but try and take the match and sort of the emotion out of it and what you thought of the way that the two in Brian Danielson and Okada went after trying to achieve what they wanted. I thought it was really well worked. I thought it was pretty clear, uh, you know, they, they did a good job of, of giving each other a, a chance to showcase uh, their moves. Um, I thought it was great that Danielson kind of showcased. I felt like 
and, and maybe it was just too much of an observation, but I felt it was very much like his Reign of Honor self in this match, a lot more technically based. Usually in his AEW run, he's been a little bit more physically, like, for lack of a better term, a little bit more ground and pound. Obviously, he'll do his technical stuff because he's known for that, but uh, I thought in this match, it felt a lot more like and maybe it was because of the final countdown coming back, and maybe it was like it, it felt a little bit more of the American Dragon uh, was coming through. He was not the heel from the Blackpool Combat Club, that's no, for sure. No, it felt like a little bit of a time warp where we took Brian Danielson from 2005 and we plopped him into this 2023 setting, which is a good thing. Um, and so I thought technically the work was good. I thought Okada looked good. I mean, the drop kicks that to be able to see his drop kicks live, I. He, it's stunning how he's able to deliver those drop kicks. Um, I was kind of waiting for, I thought there'd be a little bit more of another gear shift, um, and, and especially around the last 10 minutes, which again, what we've learned now with the fractured uh, arm. I still thought it was a good match. I think I think if, if it had a, a crowd that wasn't as depleted um, from the previous hours of, of, of wrestling, I think it would be better received. And obviously, if, if Danielson was at full health, uh, I think we would have had a, a higher peak. Um, I thought the finish itself was a, a shocking finish, but in a good way. Totally wasn't expecting that. I'm surprised New Japan even allowed that to happen. Um, but I thought that was great. It, it caught me by surprise, and uh, it kind of added a little bit of a jolt, funny enough, at the end, just to kind of see what was going on afterwards. But uh, overall, I thought the match itself uh, was, was solidly work. Uh, with with some, uh, wish there was a little bit more to it. Uh, still good, but I, I think uh, we're, we're hearing a lot of teases for a second match between these two. Ben, uh, I know as we were leaving, we were kind of saying some of the same things uh, that Zach just said about shocking finish. We didn't know about the broken forearm. You kind of thought something was wrong, but we didn't know about that. Uh, just your thoughts on the end of, you know, Okada topping out for the first time in eight years as we found out I loved the ending and the reason I loved the ending was not five seconds before the match ended the guy sitting behind me said it was a pain in the ass by the way (laughs) (laughs) the guy sitting behind me said hey for the first time all night I feel like Danielson could win this match and then five seconds later Danielson was winning the match not using the label lock, not using cattle mutilation, but using this submission where he just butterflied Okada's arms to the point where you're looking at it and you're like, he can't get out of that. Like, in terms of a technical wrestling maneuver, it was something that you would have seen from Zack Sabre Jr. And you would have been like, yeah, nobody can get out of that. He's gonna have to like break his arm to get out of there for that to make any sense. And so I love that finish because I think when I was like booking this pay-per-view in my brain and thinking about like how I would have certain matches end, there was kind of like, you could go one of two ways. You could have Omega retain and Okada go over or the opposite, which occurred with Osprey winning and Danielson going over. So for them to be able to shock me with the finish and have it come out of you know, nowhere, I, I, I loved the finish. I thought it was perfect. Like Zach said, it gave you a bit of a jolt. The match ended, and I was stunned. I was like, what just... He just won with that? I couldn't believe it. It was great. I thought if you're... If you're not going to, you know, finish it with either the Rainmaker or the uh, Psycho Knee or one of, you know somebody's uh, signature finishing maneuvers that was unbelievable it was great I loved it so for me just the shock was incredible because again another part of why we watch wrestling we don't want to know everything Zach thinks he knows everything (laughs) but we don't want to know everything we actually want to be surprised and we were surprised at the end now again I Looked like the finish came a little bit from the broken forearm, and maybe they went in a different direction. But as Ben said, and we were talking about it, uh, Chris, as we were leaving, this was an awesome finish for me because 
as, as Ben said, you couldn't... Brian Danielson put this move on where you're like, if you're Okada, unless he lets go, unless Brian Danielson actually lets go, and there was no reason to let go, Okada wasn't... He couldn't get out of it. And I think it's okay to end a match that way, even from a top guy, when you're put in the lock that legitimately no one would have been able to get out of unless Brian Danielson released the hole. I think Zach was on the right track when he was comparing what Danielson was like tonight to his time in Ring of Honor, where that ma- the finish to that match to me reminds me a lot of Ring of Honor era Brian Danielson, where he's trying to beat his opponent. It's not quite working, so he just keeps escalating what he's trying to do to get them to give up, because it wasn't just one hold that got Okada to quit. It was, okay, let's try the label lock. Well, let's pull his arm back. Well, let's pull his arm back a different way after giving him a few more shots to the head. I don't think, though, that this was completely a Ring of Honor Brian Danielson because he spent a lot of the match hitting him in more of a I'm going to say this, it's a bit of a knock at WWE style, or a lot safer roughly with about half the velocity of something that we would have seen during his indie days and for goodness sake Brian, you're, you're fighting Okada maybe lay into him a little bit more something that was special about tonight though the final countdown holy crap, um, I'm glad that, that if, even if this was just a one shot deal perhaps because Europe can cost a lot, a lot of money to license, I think that may Made this match extra special. I was losing my crap during the hums before the synth came in. Exactly the same as what it was like for me at Northern Navigation, Ring of Honor's first Toronto show back in 2008, where I'm popping before everybody else. Only this time, add another 16,000 people in the building. That was awesome. Sang every word. Okay, we're gonna quickly move on here to a couple other matches on the card. Uh, Josiah, I'll let you kind of pick a moment from the rest of the card for you that stood out just not being from the top two matches on the card sure uh, I had to think about the AEW international title match uh, seeing, yes. Kat- seeing Katsuri Shibata live uh, and all those guys they're all great uh, all four of them uh, Daniel Garcia was amazing in that match uh, Orange Cassidy of course and uh, Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, who I have been a fan of for a long time uh, and just to see how they put that match together and the ending seemed to tease something else going on there with the three titles uh, and I thought that was interesting too uh, and uh, I like I saw the match live where Shibata did the shoot headbutt to Okada and he almost died that night and to be able to actually see him wrestle again and see it live and not only wrestle again but wrestle at a high level uh, what a privilege and uh, and Orange Cassidy man that guy's so good like, he, like he's uh, an underrated guy I think he goes under the radar a lot but he's getting a lot of acclaim with this title reign so uh, I gotta give all props to all four guys uh, and especially Orange Cassidy so that match stood out for me too uh, the work rate of all those guys and I think the uh, as you said, kind of setting up the fact that Daniel Garcia took the pin in this match, Orin Cassidy retains, but the three of them with three belts, and Zack Sabre Jr. and Shibata and Orange Cassidy, all with belts, all looking at each other, it feels like Wembley is coming up quick. Okay, Chris Holsky, uh, something else uh, on the card that does not involve those three. I really enjoyed the match between CM Punk and... Uh... Satoshi Kojima. Kojima, yes, and Kojima. Yeah, I'm talking. I'm, I'm trying to. I was defending the guy earlier, then forgetting his name briefly. Um, it, it was a good match by two pros, uh, especially uh, following uh, the the opener between Tanahashi and MJF, where MJF had to slow down to make up for Tanahashi's deteriorating physical health. Um, I thought Punk and Kojima they worked mainly a safe match, and uh, Punk again really leaning into trolling the crowd. That was booing their brains out at him. Uh, that was uh, just a very well-done performance by both with a great finish. Yeah, the CM Punk on Saturday night uh, where we were on the floor, I would say 60-40 cheers, but you could hear the jeers and booing. You just It wasn't as prevalent as it was tonight, Zach. Uh, it was very prevalent tonight uh, for CM Punk. Uh, the guy creates a reaction, there's no doubt, and I think he leaned into it a little bit tonight. Yeah, it was prevalent and also constant, too. I mean, with the TV tapings that we saw, it was kind of 
obviously because of the tags, uh, it wasn't as much. But uh, in the case of this match, it was it was very prevalent. And I was kind of a little bit surprised about that because I do like Kojima, um, but he's not no longer one of the top New Japan guys. So to hear him get that sort of reaction, I thought he worked a really solid match as well. Um, so uh, I, I thought that was a really uh, strongly worked match as well. We'll talk more on a future podcast about what is happening to the AEW world title right now around the waist of MJF. Uh, and I think this is a Tony Khan problem and not a Maxwell Jacob Friedman problem. But again, we'll talk about that. I thought one of the more disappointing uh, things, unfortunately, uh, Ben, from this weekend was the lack of performance from Tanahashi, who I thought was... Um, a shell of himself to put it mildly yeah I think um, I think disappointment is probably the easiest way to describe it um, you, you go years and years of seeing him put on fantastic performances and to see kind of what we got this weekend you know he's got the G1 coming up and might having might be having to save some uh, energy for that but yeah, I honestly, like you said, it was a bit of a disappointment to see where he's at right now and whether or not he needs time to recover, uh, time off just to adjust to whatever new style he's going to have to kind of adapt with his current physical state. Um, yeah, the, the only word I can say is either disappointing or underwhelmed. Disappointing for sure, Zach, uh, that this podcast is coming to an end. Um, I probably shouldn't. We should just push you out of the car uh, and, and, and and keep going. But yeah. I, but I think it's also your machine. Yeah. So that's going to be tough. Uh, tough yeah. But someone mentioned the ten man, so that uh, we could say that we at least mentioned it. Yeah, ten man. I thought was fantastic. Okay, it was not as fantastic as these guys are making it out to be, but I it, it was great. but it, but it was very decent. Yes. Uh, how about this? I thought, in terms of the overall totality of the show, I thought the worst match was good. Is that fair to say? I, I know Tanahashi MJF was not to the level that we would expect from Hiroshi Tanahashi, but from a character standpoint, as a way to kind of kick things off, I thought it was good. It wasn't... It, it, I'm not going to go out and seek it again, um, but overall, I thought this was a real strong card for Forbidden Door. Um, I really like the 10-man tag. I really enjoy that four-way uh, for the international title. Uh, that's a great callback there. Um, obviously, uh, Omega Osprey is going to be the match that everybody's talking about. Um, but I thought every match served its purpose for what it needed to do, and I think this is one of the stronger cards of the year. Folks, that is as instant a reaction as you're going to get from uh, a pay-per-view card. We'll talk more about it as... The week goes along, uh, but we appreciate very much uh, Ben Sublier and Josiah and Chris Holsky uh, and RJ and Zach. Uh, this has been uh, one hell of a weekend. It's been uh, fun, and we'll recap it uh, again, kind of looking at some different things uh, coming up later on in the week. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I This was an absolute blast. Happy to hang out with all you guys. And, uh, yeah, this was, this was a lot of fun. And, uh, hey, you never know. Maybe we'll do something like this again. Well, it's 2.30 in the morning. We've pulled up to your place, <laughs> yeah. so we need to end the podcast. So, yeah, it's the next one, Ben, and then push him out. Uh, <laughs> so, for Zach McGibbon, who might not be here because we'll push him out, uh, Lever Sage, and everybody else in the van to Forbidden Door, thanks for listening to another edition of This is Wrestling. <laughs>